we don't have air conditioning this morning or heat. Uh, it's a three-phase system, and one of the legs of the phase is out, so our big units aren't running this morning. But wasn't it good of God? It's not too cold and it's not too hot. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. You have your notes in front of you. We've got uh, quite a bit to do this morning, so I won't tarry long, but you are uh, welcome. You are uh, encouraged to be at the fish fry. Bring somebody with you. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have lots of fish, and uh, we'll have a lot of good food, and we'll bundle up. And if it, I can tell you, if an old man can stay warm, you can stay warm. So uh, I look forward to that. So we are in the Olivet Discourse. That's Matthew chapter 24 and 25. The reason that it is called the Olivet Discourse is because when Jesus left the temple for the last time, he was headed towards Bethany. He went up on the Mount of Olives and he sat, sat down looking out over the uh, temple area, looking out over the city of Jerusalem. He went up there and he, he, he spoke these words that we are looking at in Matthew 24 and 25. So that's where we're at this morning. I want to I read again verses 3 through 8. I would title this, The Signs of the End of the Age, 1. Uh, next week will be 2. Uh, so we've, we've got quite, to, quite, a, quite a bit to sort out, so we won't be in any hurry. As, we, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. And here's the key to this whole passage. Are you ready? See that no one leads you astray. The times are going to get difficult. Uh, there are going to be days that we have never seen if we're here at the end of the age. If, if that happens, there's, there's going to be things that happen, things that we don't understand, things that we've never experienced, and we need to be ready for that. We need to live in expectations of that. We'll look at more of this next week. So, see that no one leads you astray. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little testimony of what happened uh, one time this week uh, over in, in Pike County, I'll, I'll tell you what, what a young man said to me. See that no one leads you astray. Now, the only way you're going to keep from being led astray is to be a Berean. To live in an understanding and a knowledge of God's Word. Otherwise, you are susceptible to being led astray. There are people that believe he is not coming back again. And they'd like for you to believe the same thing. But we know that not to be true. Why do we know that not to be true? Because we know the Word of God. See that no one leads you astray. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. Well, look at it. It already happened when the Bible was written. It continues to happen. It'll continue to happen. Okay, you don't have to worry about that. When he comes, everybody's going to know it. You're going to know it. It's going to be sudden. 
You won't have to ask what has happened here. Christ will return. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed. Here's the second key. Don't get alarmed. If you're a child of God and He returns, it's what you've been waiting for. Amen? Christians are not to be alarmed. I mean, we, we have been, we've been waiting for this moment. And just think about this. What if you happened to be of the generation that saw that happen? Wow. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of birth pains. So, uh, we don't have to know the when. Are you with me? Matter of fact, he tells us, (laughs) nobody knows. Nobody's going to figure it out. I'm the only one that knows. So, We don't have to know the when, but to be preserved from the evils that will come upon the world, we've got to live in expectations of Him coming and that these days are going to be difficult. So we'll be able to persevere. What we don't want to become is apostate. Many people, when when it gets really bad, will turn away from the Lord. They will show themselves never having been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want in that camp. We want to be preserved. So, we can't, if we're saved, we can't become apostate. But if we are apostate, we don't want to be found out on the last day. I tell tell people all the time, look, If you're saved, I can't lose you. Y'all hear me? Because he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion. If you're saved, I can't lose you. But if you're not saved, I want to make it obvious to you through the scripture you're not saved. Because today you can do something about that. At the end time, you can't do anything about that. We need to get uh, separated from the world. Are y'all with me? We need we need to get to the place that we our hands aren't so tied up in the things of this world. Now, why why is that the case? Because one of these days this world is going to be gone, huh? One of these days this world is going to be snatched out of your hand, our hands. So we need to get as far away from it now as we can. Amen? It will be gone. Now, we looked last week at this, this fact. There's, there's really nothing any more fascinating than prophecy. I mean, some people, it intrigues them. Hey, listen, I know churches, that's all they're worried about is when Christ comes again. That's, that is their focus. And, and it's intriguing, and it should intrigue us. But much of the prophecy that we're talking about, most of it is unfulfilled. So that makes it really interesting. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. 
These prophecies, listen to me, are the very things that good men have disagreed upon for decades. In other words, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to figure it out. Most of us would like to know the future. Whether for gain or just out of curiosity, we'd kind of like to know the future. Uh, I'm not one of those guys. Uh, you know, I think the more I knew about the future, the more I'd worry about it. I do know the Lord's going to come. We need to be in expectation of that. In the, for you that are younger, I, I don't know. So it used to be it was uh, secular horoscopes and fortune tellers. You know, every, uh, every day they'd have some, some woman in the newspaper that wrote out your prediction for the day. Who, who was that? Anybody old enough to remember that? It was, it was a column in all the major newspapers. So what's everybody looking at today in, in social media about the future? Anything? I, I don't know because I'm, I'm not that much on social media. But people like to talk about the future. People would like to know about what's coming, right? Well, listen, if you want to know about what's coming, here's your book. Come on. Here's your book. Now, now when you, when you get it all figured out, right, uh, <laughs> just, just realize uh, you, you may have it all figured out because it is difficult to figure it out and know for certain that you got it right. But here's what we do know. He is coming back. It will be sudden, okay? And we need to be ready. Amen? We surely need to be that. So, we're talking about prophecies. Sometimes they're difficult. Okay, the end time prophecy is pretty difficult. Well, sometimes they're pretty vague. It's not really too clear what the prophecy is saying about. So, I ran across this one. Of an oracle, a prophecy that was told the king that if he went into battle, he would destroy a great empire. Well... He assumed that that empire was his enemy. But in fact, when he went into battle, his own kingdom was destroyed. So sometimes it's vague. Sometimes it's not as clear as it ought to be. But I want to tell you, the only prophecies that you can know for sure that are going to come to pass are biblical prophecies. How many prophecies in God's Word? Did we look one time at 967 prophecies? How many of them have, have been fulfilled? Pretty much all of them, okay? As we come down to the end time, these end time events, we don't have them all fulfilled yet. But which prophecies are going to be fulfilled? Every one that was spoken of in God's Word. Not a one of them will be unfulfilled. So Jesus' disciples were curious about the future. So they follow him up on the Mount of Olives. He's by himself. And we'll look at 3b. Tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So this gave opportunity for Jesus to teach on the last things. That's what he's talking about. The last things that are going to happen. It's called the Olivet Discourse. I've already told you that. It's a so Matthew is a collection of five different uh, discourses. Now, this is kind of interesting. 
And uh, it's not in your notes, but if you want it, I can give it to you pretty quickly. I'm going to tell you what, it, what these are. So you've got five fingers right on one hand. So this can be remembered. This is what all has happened in the book of Matthew. First of all, how are the citizens of God to live? Where do you think we learned that in Matthew? Thinking about it a second. The, the Beatitudes, okay? So chapters 5, 6, and 7. In the Beatitudes, how we're to live. It's in Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now, we go to the next discourse, and it was how the, uh, uh, his apostles were to conduct themselves when they went out on the mission trips. You with me? So how are you to conduct yourself as you go to spread God's Word? This is in chapter 10. Then we go to what his parables are to tell us. And that's chapter 13. And then we have in verses 18 through 20 a warning from Jesus about not hindering people getting into heaven and also about how we are to forgive other people. You know what it says about forgiveness? But the bottom line, you know what it says? If you want forgiven, you better do what? Forgive others. And then, so that's the fourth one. And now we're in the fifth one. How will human history end? Five major discourses in the book of Matthew. We've gone through four of them. We're on the fifth one now. And all five of these discourses have ended in the same way. Listen to what it says. When he got through with these discourses, Jesus said, When he had finished saying these things. So something very important happened. And the way he said, I'm done, is when he had finished saying these things, he moved on to something else. So this discourse that we're looking about at the end of time is an important part of the gospel. How's it all going to end? We believe, okay, we know the seven seas of history, right? Uh, Creation, corruption, uh, I'll get them, catastrophe, confusion, the cross, Christ, the cross, and what's the last one? Consummation. How's it all going to How's, how's God going to finish all of this up? And we know the, the bottom line is this. A new heaven and a new earth where God's people will dwell with Him forever. But how about getting there? What's it going to look like for us to get from here to there? Are y'all with me? So that's what we're looking at. Now, I will tell you that Mark 13 is more precise than Matthew 24. So read Mark 13. Luke 21 is companion of Matthew chapter 24. So you got Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. You can read all of those together. So out of these chapters have come most of the eschatological schemes that we have today. If you want to know about the end times, they come out of these scriptures. I'm going to give you just a little bit. For some of you people, you have never heard these words, and you really don't care to hear these words. For some people in here, a few people, you're pretty well versed on it. But there's three major uh, approaches to what the end times going to look like. I'm just going to give you a little hint of that. Because uh, if, you, if you read and study this at all, you're going to hear about premillennialists. You're going to hear about amillennialists. You're going to hear about postmillennialists. 
You're going to hear about the preterist. You're going to hear those kind of terms. So let me just give you a a little heads up. Premillennialism is the view that Christ's second coming will occur prior to his millennial kingdom and that the millennial kingdom is a literal 1,000-year-long reign of Christ on earth. This will be followed by a seven-year period of intense tribulation, and then the Lord will return for the consummation. This is what, for people who have an opinion, this is the major opinion in evangelical circles. It's the major uh, the eschatological opinion in this church. Premillennialism, okay? But that's not the only opinion. The next one is, okay, so now just keep this in mind. The next one is amillennialism. Okay, I'm going to skip postmillennialism. It, it doesn't matter. Well, let's go back to postmillennialism. That's the next place in your notes. Okay, postmillennialism. So pre was before the millennial, right? Before the thousand-year reign. Post is he's going to come after the thousand-year reign. You got the two? Okay. Postmillennialism is an interpretation of Revelation chapter 20 which sees Christ's second coming as occurring after the millennium, a golden age or era of Christian prosperity and dominance. And I'll just tell you, of the three, that's the one that I struggle the most with because I don't see down the road a, a period of Christian prosperity and dominance. I think we're past that. But that's just me thinking. All right, then the next one is amillennialism. Wow, these words with too many uh, for an old tongue-tied man, right? Okay, an amillennialist, no literal millennium. There will not be a thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay, there will not be. They see the thousand years as spiritual and not literal, as opposed to a physical understanding of history. Although the prefix a or a would typically signify a negation of a word, the all-mill position sees the millennium as realized or better explained is the millennium is happening now. I don't see that is being the case. I see it getting worse and worse. Okay? Uh, I just don't see it getting better. Now, hey, listen, I think God could split the heavens wide open and come and bring a a great revival. I absolutely believe that. Is there a possibility He's already turned us over to judgment and He's only going to come back to bring an end to it? Absolutely. Listen, if we're not under judgment, we ought to be under judgment. And there's no word to describe where civilization is other than crazy. There's no place to explain where civilization is other than right is wrong and wrong is right. The only way to explain that civilization is crazy is there's no absolute right. There's no absolute truth. If you don't have male and female, you don't have any absolute truth. 
Now, why would a college-educated lawyer that has been appointed to the Supreme Court, why would she refuse to give the definition of a woman other than the fact that they don't want anything to be able to define? They don't want to define anything. They want it to be their opinion that at that moment. It's crazy. So, I'm the all-meal position, how about that, pre-meal, all-meal, post-meal, okay, sees the first coming of Christ as the inauguration of his kingdom and his return at the consummation of the kingdom. John's mention of a thousand years thus points to all things that would happen in the church age. It's what's been happening in the church age since Christ for 2,000 plus years now. These are the big ones. And then we can throw in historic pre-meal. That would be Matthew, Henry, and the likes of him. Historic pre-meal. And then we can throw in praetorism. Praetorism is this. All prophecy in the Bible is really history. The praetorist position or interpretation of Scripture regards the book of Revelation as a symbolic picture of first century conflicts not a description of what will occur at the end of times. The terms praetorism comes from the Latin praetor, meaning past. Thus, the praetorist is the view that the biblical prophecies concerning the end times have already been fulfilled in the past. So, that are the three main views, and throw in another view that, listen, there are a lot of people right now that are taking that view. Uh, really, it's, it's disturbing that there's a real trend of the younger guys that are taking this praetorist position. And l- let me just say that again. The praetorist is the view that biblical prophecies concerning the end times have already been fulfilled. Okay? And so, my question would be, in the past, why hasn't the Lord come yet? He hasn't come yet. So, praetorism is directly opposed to futurism, which is another term you hear, which sees the end-time prophecies as still having a still future time of fulfillment. Now, for you that needed to know that, there it is. For the ones that didn't want to hear that, you've been exposed to it anyway. Because as we go through Matthew 24 and 25, I will have to refer back to these positions. Are you okay with that? You understand what I'm saying? There's just some technical things that you've got to be at least aware of. Now, let me give you a couple of quotes to set the stage. I don't know, I, I know all of you would know the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He is a pre-mill person, okay? Most of you would know, if you study at all uh, the old guys, the Puritans, this guy is not a Puritan, but he is, he died in 1900. J.C. Ryle, he's known as the bishop, and uh, he has quite a reputation. He's a pre-mill. So I want to give you two quotes. This is a quote from J.C. Ryle. Are are y'all ready to think just a tad? Because we're through with the introduction, now you're going to have to think just a tad. Let us not be ashamed to say that we expect a literal fulfillment of unfulfilled prophecy. 
Don't be ashamed to say that you think that biblical prophecy is going to be absolutely fulfilled. Don't be ashamed of that. I'm still on J.C. Ryle. Let us frankly admit that there are many things we do not understand, but what we do understand about His immediate, His imminent coming and His bodily coming, we must hold our ground tenaciously. We must believe much. We have waited long and we need to continue to wait. And listen, here's what he says, and not doubt that one day everything will become clear to us. It's all going to play out. And you'll say, well, I see that now. Above all, let us remember that when the Messiah first came to die, to suffer, are y'all with me? Listen now. When he first came to suffer, it was the most improbable, improbable event that could have been conceived. Nobody was looking for him to come back, and they were looking to come back and be a king of the world. Nobody was looking for him to come back and to die on an old rugged cross. Very few people expected that, even though prophecy said that was going to happen. Few people expected that. Did that happen? Did, did he come? Everybody was looking for a king and died on an oak rugged cross to pay the sins, pay the penalty for our sins. Did that happen? Now listen to this now. If that happened, don't not think that he can literally come in person, bodily, to judge and rule the world. Are you with me? If he came to die and was resurrected, there's nothing he can't come to do. That's J.C. Ryle. How about Charles Spurgeon? The answers of Jesus, which we're looking at in Matthew 24, contain much that was mysterious and that could only be fully understood as that which he foretold actually occurred. Spurgeon's got it figured out. Some of this stuff we're not going to figure out until it's happening. He told his disciples some things that related to the destruction of Jerusalem, some things which related to his second coming, and some things which would immediately come at the end of the ages. I have Charles Spurgeon's commentary on Matthew chapter 24. That's exactly the approach he takes. Let me tell you that again. He told his disciples some things that related to the siege of Jerusalem, some things which related to his second advent, and some things which would immediately precede the end of the world. When we have clear light, we may possibly perceive that our Savior's prediction on this, this occasion had some way all three connected. Somewhere or the other, when we get it all panned out, the destruction of Jerusalem, His second coming, and the, the end of the age may all in some way be connected. Now, how did we look at this last week? What did we say about the destruction of Jerusalem? It was just a taste of the end time. 
and read, Josephus read other places about how bad it was when Jerusalem was destroyed. We, we can't fathom it. We're sitting here. Walls, thick walls, impenetrable walls. That's what they're thinking. Besieged. Terrible things happened. People did terrible things during this time. But it's just a drop in the bucket what the end of the age is going to be like. So see, we need to be ready. And we'll just have to absolutely trust in God. Amen? So here's some, you've got these in your notes. Here are some common sense keys as we study the Olivet Discourse. You want to you wanna know how to keep from going wrong? You want to you wanna know how to keep from following a, a false prophet or a false messiah? You want to know how to keep from being misled or led astray? You want to you know how to keep from being alarmed? Are y'all ready? Okay. Be ready. Live intentionally for His glory in radical obedience to His commands. Be living, expecting Him to come back today. Be ready. Number two, do not be alarmed. It's going to get bad. Don't be alarmed. You're going to know when He comes back. Number three, look. Every morning, every bed, every night when you go to bed, say, Lord, if tonight's tonight, You know, it'll be night somewhere when he comes back. If it's tonight, I look forward to it with anticipation. You get up every morning and say, Lord, if it's today. Hey, that's one of those things. If you go to bed thinking about it, come on now. And you get up, you know why people don't think about it? They don't want to be concerned with it. If you go to bed thinking about his return and get up thinking about his return, tell me a few days down the road, what's what's it going to impact? The way you act. The way you live. It will. If it's something that you think about, when you go to bed and when you get up, and you keep repeating that to yourself, it's going to change the way you live. So what will happen with each... Oh, so, so here's just a question for you. Here's, here's what just really consumes my thinking about this. What is going to happen? What are you going to do if it doesn't happen exactly like you think it's going to happen? You with me? What if you've got it figured out? And when it comes undone, it's not happening like you've got it figured out. I'm just saying. What if it doesn't happen like you've got it planned out? Will we throw in the towel? And show ourselves to be apostate? Will we be ready? So, I think you've got these too. Every day. Listen, 
Every day, if you're about doing this, you don't have to worry about if he comes back, comes back during the lunch hour. Here it is. Be about the Father's business. I love that. You know what Jesus told his mom and daddy when they couldn't find him, when they got two or three days down the road from the Passover? What did, what did he say? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house about my father's business? Listen, if you are on mission for the Lord when he comes back, you're in a good place. Secondly, living for his glory. If you get up every day thinking about today, I want to be about your business, living for your glory, that's the day you want him to come. Amen? Number three, being radically obedient to his commands. There it is. Number four, striving to love the world less and him and others more and more. Listen, you hear that? Striving to love the, Lord, the world what? Less and him and others. Number five, striving to advance his kingdom through the local church. Listen, it amazes me that people call themselves Christians and have no concern and no time for their local church. Living and expecting the sudden, imminent, and bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how he went? What did he do? He went up into what? Guess how he's coming back? So, what can we learn this morning from these few verses? Verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, here it is now. See that no one leads you astray. Know, know the scripture. Know what, know what you're being taught. Know who's teaching it to you. Stand on what you know and, and who, okay, so what he said, what? What do you say about Timothy? Uh, being convinced, knowing what you've learned and have become convinced of. Okay? Know what you've been taught. Know what you've learned. Know who you've learned it from. And hang on to it. Don't, don't vary from it. So, remember there was two questions for sure, maybe three. When shall these things be? What will be the sign when all these things happen? There seem to be three questions. What would be the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem, of his coming, of the end of the world? But look at verse 4, the last half of it. See that what? No one leads you astray. Living and expecting the sudden, imminent, bodily return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It could come at any time. Just this week, a young man that I've been dealing with, oh, for a year, maybe more than a year. Uh, we were having a powerful time talking about born again. We were looking at Psalm 119, verses 162 through 168. And this young man, uh, we were talking about being born again. We were talking about a new heart and a new spirit and writing the law in your mind and putting your heart, talking about a changed life, and this young man's just weeping. I'm talking about a, a, in a setting with 15, 20 other grown men 
weeping. And he, he, he used these words uh, in, in, in his re, re, reply to me. He said, uh, I believe I've, I've, I've embraced some false doctrine. He used that terminology, some false doctrine. But he said, he said, you know, I was told that if I'm emotional, if I feel it, if I can speak in tongues, if, if I can do these things, if I get really emotional about the things of God, I've been told that those are, those are signs that I'm saved. And so he said, now I'm being challenged to examine myself. I'm being challenged to see if Christ lives in me. I'm being challenged to, to say, has my life been radically changed? He said, I believe I've, been, I've, I've, I've embraced some false doctrine. Let me tell you, it's not about emotions. It's not about feelings. All of those things are fine. But have you had a change of heart? Are you with me? Have you been born again? Has He taken your heart of stone and has He given you a heart of flesh that came from Him? Has He put His law in your mind? Has He written it on your heart? Does He live in you? Now what will be the indication of that? You're obedient to His Word. You have a desire to live for Him. There's a lot of easy believism still out there. There's a lot of prosperity gospel out there that if you do these things, you'll be emotional, you'll be able to speak in tongues, you'll be able to do these signs, and man, you'll have everything you ever dreamed of having in this life. Let me tell you what the Scripture says. In Matthew 16.33, I'm sorry, John 16.33, just listen to this. This is what's promised in the Christian life. 1633 says, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. Y'all ready? In this world, in this body, in this time, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We're not going to have to live forever in this trouble. Absolutely. We're going to be taken to a new heaven and new earth. And there's not any of those troubles. So this uh, seed that no longer leads you astray. Listen, don't believe everything you hear. Are y'all with me? And just because you hear it on TV, don't don't make it true. Wow. Uh, mm. Did you did y'all hear that? Just because they're a TV preacher, don't mean that they're telling the truth. The only thing that there's any censorship of is the truth. So preachers aren't being censored for telling a lie. They may be censored for telling the truth. Y'all know what I mean? That marriage is between one man and one woman. That whatever you were biologically born, that's what you still are. Now, that may get censored, but not a lie that you can become what you feel like you are that day. So, verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. This appears to be a common theme. 
I am the Christ. Thudius, Judas of Galilee, are mentioned by Gamaliel. Acts 5, 36-37 says, For in those days, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. Listen to this, though. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. That's what's going to happen to those who embrace somebody else being the Christ. They're all going to be deceased, and that movement's going to come to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. And Simon Magus, who gave himself out, he gave out himself to be someone great, and the people accounted him the great power of God. Those are the ones that have come, and there will be more and more come as it gets worse. Many were deceived by imposters, our last couple of verses. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, okay? Do not be led astray. Do not be alarmed. If you're still here, okay, you haven't missed it. He hasn't come yet. You're going to know it. Everybody's going to know it when he comes. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. From the time of our Savior's death to the destruction of Jerusalem, just 40 years, full of wars, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes. Our Savior tells them that these things will happen, but the time's not yet for His coming. So what can we learn? The first lesson is a warning against being deceived. See that no one leads you astray. Listen, I talk to people almost every day. And one, one young guy I talk to a lot, and, and he, he can get so caught up in what I call a, uh, a, a little bit of a, uh, see if I can get the right term, uh, a non-essential, okay? And so you go following after this non-essential, and all of a sudden you've, you've lost your way. Listen. Focus on the Lord. Focus on your relationship with Him. Focus on making sure that you are saved and you have a concern about the things of God. Focus on those things. Focus on living for His glory. Focus on looking for His return. Don't let those fringe things get you distracted. See that no one leads you astray. Verses 4 and 5 says, See that no one leads you astray. Number five, I would go on to say, says this, don't believe everything out there that you hear. Listen, I tell you, listen, I tell you, I tell everybody, listen, if, they, if I can't show you in this word, don't believe it. If somebody tries to tell you something and you think, I don't know about that, just ask them the question, where is that in the Bible? If you really want to stump them, Ask how a person is made born again. And I would just tell you, if, if they can't articulate that to you, you probably ought to run from them. 
Did you hear me? He told Nicodemus three times. What did he say? You must be born again. So if they can't tell you how you can be born again, it's a probably a good, good sign. Amen? Number, number three, verse six, see that you're not alarmed. And number eight, these are birth pangs that must happen. So tell me we don't have a, a wonderful, merciful warning that the Lord's going to return and it's going to be bad. Have we been warned? Have you been warned? Listen, for, I don't know, for 12, 16 years, there, there has been a possibility that we may lock the doors on Sunday morning after we get started to keep somebody from coming in. But, but there is every possibility within the next few years that we'll come here on Wednesday night or we'll come here on Sunday morning and the doors will be padlocked because we're teaching something contrary to the government's opinion. I'm telling you, that time is upon us. Listen, there has been a preacher in Canada that went to jail for several days recently. You can pull it up on YouTube. There were, a preacher went to an abortion... No, he went to protest a drag queen hour. Okay? Y'all know what the drag queen hour is, right? It's where people... I don't, I don't want to say parents. It's where people take their kids and some adult man who is dressed as a woman and scantily dressed at that reads them inappropriate books about sexual things and suggests to them that they do things that you would not believe your kids would be even exposed to. I believe it was that. Anyway, he was protesting. He got assaulted to the ground, handcuffed, and dragged out of that place. That's in Canada. Y'all know that's just our northern border. I'll tell you how it works. Listen. This one guy that went to jail in Canada for opening his church when the government not said not to, for two or three years, Canada would not let him come to America. I'm telling you, it's coming, folks. It is coming here. So, when it happens, don't be surprised. You know what? You know what we, what, what we better get ready to do? We'll just hunker down in your neighborhood, your neighborhood, your neighborhood, your neighborhood, and just carry on. Amen? The human eye seems blinded to the things to come. Mormons and others have worked at rejecting the entire doctrine of the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming again. We need to watch out and be on our guard against false teachers. Amen? Don't believe the lies that His bodily return is impossible. Listen, if He came, died, was buried, resurrected 40 days here, ascended back to heaven, tell me He can't come back. 
Don't believe that it will happen some other way. It's going to happen this way, quickly and a bodily return. Don't believe that because of all the elapsed time. You know what people are thinking now? It's been 2,000 years. It's not going to happen. It's closer now than it was 2,000 years ago, right? It's going to happen. Don't be deceived about the time. Listen, if somebody comes and tries to show you in the Bible, they've got the day figured out. Hey, just say, well, you are number 1,562 that's had it figured out in the past. Just get, get in line with the rest of them. I'm not believing you either. Y'all with me? Nobody's going to figure out the day. Don't be deceived by that. Let the plain meaning of Scripture be your guide. He's going to come like he went. Just like a lot of other things, don't be ashamed to speak the truth of the fact that Christ will return. Hey, here's what people don't want to hear. Hey, it, it would be fine with everybody if Christ was going to return, right? Everybody was going to get uh, a little handout. And then we're all going to have this big party and go to heaven. Everybody would be fine with that return, right? What are they not fine with? He's going to return as the judge. Nobody wants to hear that. That we are certain that the Lord will return as He went. Hang on to that. Even though we don't have it all figured out, we must be looking for the Lord's sudden return. Remember that Christ coming to suffer and to die on the cross for our sins seemed like an unlikely event, but it happened. Let us understand if he came to be humiliated and to suffer and to die, he will surely return to judge and to reign. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 22.20. You know, we don't, we don't ever talk about this. But uh, as you turn to Revelation 22.20 and Tom gets ready to come, I'm also going to go back to 1 Corinthians Revelation twenty two twenty. This is one one verse before the last verse in the Bible. <clears throat> he who testifies of these things says, "Surely I am coming." Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That goes to back 1 Corinthians 16, 22. And that says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. So Maranatha, what's it mean? Oh, Lord, come quickly. Amen.